Today on the Amped Up to 11 podcast, Jenny Rolf Polrice. Jenny is a left below the knee amputee who describes herself as a fitness fanatic. This fitness trainer continues to inspire the entire amputee community through her video blog and positive content on social media platforms. Jenny has participated in competitive national bodybuilding and brings a fascinating perspective to our entire audience. We are proud to introduce to you Jenny Rolf Polrice. Jenny, how you doing? Good to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. I am glad you're here, and I am glad that we were able to pivot and put you on the show via Zoom. It looks good. Technical difficulties. Yeah. You want to tell the audience why you're on Zoom and not on our normal platform? Because I don't carry around a laptop with me, so... Oh, like in your back pocket, you mean? <laughs> right. My pockets aren't big enough. So as you mentioned before we went on um, on today, you are post-workout. This is, this is the Jenny after the gym. That's right. There's Jenny on the block, and then there's Jenny after gym. And this, That's is, right. this is Jenny after gym. So what was the workout like this evening? We did some back and biceps and, and about an hour of the stair mill after work, after an eight-hour shift. So Wow, that's impressive. You're making me feel very small right now. How dare you? No, it's okay. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad you were able to take the time. And of course, I, I have been following you and very much believe that you offer a really interesting and extraordinary perspective in the amputee community. I think the the thing I would like to ask you to sort of kick things off is if you were going to think about um, what has surprised you most about being an amputee, what, what would you, how would you describe that? What would you say? I would say that what has surprised me the most about being an amputee is how much I have learned that I can accomplish by being an amputee. Um, how strong I have become from the challenges of being an amputee. And I honestly can say that going through what I have been through the last 21 years is learning that I can overcome and push myself to do anything as long as I believe to. Yeah. And I would agree with that sentiment myself. And certainly I continue to, let's say, surprise myself on what I'm capable of. And not that I wasn't an active person before amputation, but certainly not as active as I am now. And I hear this often from active amputees, and I don't know if you're in the same camp, but so often I hear, I was not able to adapt to being an amputee successfully 
unless I really, really upped my game in terms of my fitness level, that I was using muscles I had never used before. I was essentially requiring more energy to be mobile, to be able to even do everyday things. And I was reading a, like a strange, what seemed like a strange uh, statistic. And it was talking about how amputees, specifically leg amputees, it was like use like 35, 40% like more energy to walk than someone who has both limbs. And I thought, wow, is that, is, is that why I was sweating so much when all this started, you know? <laughs> is, that, is that why my residual limb was collecting, you know, all that fluid at first? A pool. Because <laughs> it's pretty shocking, isn't it? Like when you, when you, when you first don, you know, a prosthesis and yeah, you, you go out in the summer heat or something and you're walking around and you're thinking, what on earth? How could this much sweat come out of this little limb? Like, how is that even it, it, possible? <laughs> exactly. Like half those muscles aren't functioning, but yet you're literally creating a right. pool. I know I had, when I first learned to, to teach my, I taught myself to, to walk and, and I was a personal trainer for 15 years um, and a bodybuilder. So when I work out daily, the pool, the amount of sweat is just astronomical. I would get run on the treadmill when I got to that point and have to stop and dump out the sweat and then put my leg back on and continue. Uh, I'll do the same thing. I'll be running down the street, um, going for a run or chasing the grandkids and uh, have to stop and dump my leg out. And it's been 20 years. I still got to stop and dump. So you get people that are stopping to see if you need help. And you think at that point, like, do you call AAA or do you call 911? <laughs> you know? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, talking about, you know, being able to run, that's, you know, I'm, I'm about six years into this. The one thing that I'm lacking in my notes on you is how did you become an amputee? This is a very long story. I'll try to sum it up as much as I can, but um, fire away. And <laughs> in 2001, I was in a motorcycle accident. I was passenger on motorcycle, and a lady had pulled out in front of us and um, couldn't swerve, couldn't miss it in time. So um, we took the hit. And uh, the driver had hit her minivan and I had rolled with the bike. Well, the bike um, landed on my back. Um, however, my leg hurt, which was odd. I was able to get up, help push the motorcycle um, off to the side of the road. It was 35 mile an hour, you know, at the time, no big deal. And I just collapsed. So I went to the hospital um, and I was treated and released for a sprained ankle. Mm. So there shortly after, um, it wasn't getting any better. Like my, my foot started inverting. So I was literally walking on the outside of my foot. It had turned. Um, and so they were assuming that the tendons were over tightening. Um, 
And so they did x-rays and fluoroscope, which is an x-ray under movement, and couldn't figure out where the deformation is coming from. Well, then the muscles just started contracting so bad that we had to do tendon transfers and surgeries to try to correct the deformation of what was happening with my legs. So I went through seven surgeries to try to correct what was going on with my leg and they still didn't have a diagnosis um, until I was sent to the University of Iowa um, about a year and a half later. And they found that it was a spinal cord injury from the accident called a post-traumatic focal dystonia. Happens to about one out of a million people. Um, so what had happened is it pinched the spinal cord just enough to affect the nerves on um, the left side of the leg. So all the tendon transfers and stuff that they were doing, the muscles were contracting so hard that it was literally tearing those tendons away from the bone. Um, and sitting through this, I, my children were very young at the time. I learned to carry a baby carrier on crutches. I crawled to do laundry, um, single mom taking care of them, mm. uh, going through all of this. Um, so at the University of Iowa, they found that there was one other case it was a female. She had 28 surgeries before they elected to amputate. And I said, I wasn't willing to go through that. So I educated myself and then had to you know, prove I wasn't crazy because here I am, 22 years old, electing amputation. So I, uh, the intranet just came out then <laughs> and went and figured out that there was runners out there. There was all these people that could do amazing things being an amputee. And I'm like, that's it. That's my ticket out. Little did I know that the hard road it would take to overcome and become that runner. Mm -hmm. So many people that go into amputation just assume that, okay, I'm going to get a prosthetic and I'm going to run out of there. Yeah. And as those amputees We'll soon find out or no, it's not that simple. So anyways, um, we did one more last ditch effort to try to save the leg. It did not work. Um, I had a shot of Demerol during that surgery that I found out I was allergic to and I coded and um, I was without oxygen for so long that um, it left me with epilepsy. So I have uh scar tissue on both frontal lobes um, and now am epileptic because of that surgery. So the next time they put me under for um, the amputation itself, um, we had to take extra precautions so that I wouldn't, I'd wake up sure. <laughs> and be able to walk. However, that's how I became a 23 year old amputee. Yeah, and I you made some good points there that I just want to circle back on. I I do believe that there is that public perception post amputation of, well, yeah, you you come out of surgery and they hand you your cool, uh, brand new, uh, running blade, and then you just kind of charge off into the sunset, not really understanding that those you know very dramatic sexy inspiring photos that i also looked at you know on the internet and i'm 
you know, I'm about six and a half years post-op. So I, I, I had a lot of internet to look at. <laughs> it was the, the, the internet was in full force at that, at that point. So there was, you know, all of those sort of misguided misperceptions, all those things where you think, um, I, I hate to use the word easy, but Hey, this isn't going to be that bad. And I didn't, you know, coming to an amputation, I didn't, I didn't know what, you know, prosthesis even looked like. I mean, I, I, I do recall, uh, reading about, you know, Pistorius, the runner, and he had the cool running blades. And I mean, that was interesting, but I didn't really like gravitate towards that. Um, it just sort of passed me by. But now that I was, I was facing, you know, what we, what we both experience, I was somewhat fascinated in, well, how is this going to look? Like, what do these things look like? And then you're seeing, you know, different styles, different blades, different feet, different sockets, different this, different that, and all that stuff. And I have to say, it, it can be overwhelming as to, well, what what is the path to glory, you know, in that situation? And I think the thing that surprised me the most was the huge, huge sort of canyon between the medical community on one side and the practitioners and people in prosthetics on the other and how very little those two entities communicate with each other because I can't tell you how often I go and see my normal medical doctors now they look at my leg and they say they'll say right to my face I I have no idea like what that is on your leg right now. I don't know what it does. I don't know how you bear weight on it. I don't know what effect it is having on your residual limb. I don't know anything. And I've actually sat in my GP's office and helped him write a prescription for my prosthesis. And that's just, it's bizarre to me that we have it this. is absolutely bizarre and it's mind-boggling because you know you would think that being a medical doctor they would know the biomechanics of of a prosthesis but they really don't have any clue so as you said you have to help them write a prescription you know i'm a k4 what does that mean why do i need that this is what i want to be able to accomplish without that prescription you can't have it but yet they have no clue what it means yeah Exactly. Were you before your your accident and then obviously your your unfortunate subsequent surgeries, how active were you before that? Well, I was a gymnast as a kid and a and a farm girl. Um worked physical jobs. Um so I've always been active but not as active as after becoming an amputee. Because, um, like I said, I was going through all those surgeries in a, in a wheelchair on crutches for so long that I put on an astronomical amount of weight for myself. I mean, some people would say, you know, 220 pounds isn't a lot. But, you know, when you're a small stature, 
as I was, that is a lot. Um, and having that weight on the prosthetic, um, it makes it harder to move and function. So it's really mind over matter. Um, so I went to a physical therapy appointment and I was young, mind you, and they wanted me to use a walker, um, which having young kids taking advantage of me was not feasible. And I would thought, you know, I'm too young to use a walker. I am not doing this. So I took matters in my own hands and um, did it myself. Yeah. I started doing Pilates because I could lay on the ground and, and function and squeeze those muscles and literally worked myself from the ground up, taught myself to walk um, by using crutches, by using um, just core muscles, treadmill, um, a bike, I would bike, uh, for, I mean, hours at a time and the weight started coming off. Of course, confidence builds those, uh, secondary muscles build. And I figured if I can do it myself, then, um, I can teach others as well. So becoming an amputee basically laid out the path for me to become a personal trainer and teach others disabled, overweight, um, no matter what the ability uh, to lose weight, put on muscle, do what they needed to do biomechanically um, and um, physically to become the best of them. And your and your clients are uh, able bodied as well. They're not they're not uh, they don't have disabilities, do they? Absolutely. Um, I would say 90 percent of my clients um, were able bodied. Um, I did have a few that I would train, uh, via, I mean, we would use messenger then because it was before zoom and all that stuff. Yeah. But, um, so kind of like when online training first came out, that's what I would do. But I trained in the gym, like I said, um, for 15 years, all types of body types, but mainly able-bodied. Yeah. And how, how do you tell your trainer who's missing a leg? I can't do it. <laughs> there you go there you go do, do ever, <laughs> i kind of had the market do you ever use and that then of course that they ask you know like oh who's your personal trainer they're like jen well i don't know that there's you know a thousand jennies or jens but oh the one-legged lady everybody knows the peg leg trainer so yeah yeah and that's your handle so i, I was gonna say you know how often do you have to pull that card out you know like hey um you know, I'm, I'm, I'm operating with one leg here and I can do it. I think you can do it, you know, cause people, I mean, yeah. you know, cause this is your business. People create excuses. I mean, that's just, that's just how it is. And it, it's, it's, it's always harder to get really, really uncomfortable. Now, absolutely. that being said, true progress comes from getting really uncomfortable. And I was talking to, uh, actually on uh, another episode of the podcast, I was, I was talking to a triathlete and I was saying, okay, like what's the X factor? Like what, what is it when you're, when you're running those races, when you're finishing, when you're trying to finish a marathon, when you're trying to push yourself to that absolute limit? And I said, what is it? What is the, what's the secret sauce? And he said, you know what it is? You have to be able to get comfortable with pain. 
That's what it is. You have to be able to live in the pain cave. If you can get through that, that's when you find, you know, those achievements. That's when the light happens. It's just those moments when you, and I'm not, please don't send me email. I'm not promoting hurting yourself. I'm not promoting that. However, to do what you do, which, you know, especially with bodybuilding, it's a very, it's a very repetitive, very focused, very regimented, disciplined activity. And it's not, it's, it's, it's not designed around comfort. I mean, when you, when you look at the, uh, you know, the calculus, the equation that creates muscle mass, okay? It literally, it's kind of terrifying when you look at it on a scientific level because you're literally breaking something down so that it grows back bigger and stronger. So exactly, you're, you're, you're kind of like, okay, I got to break myself to come back stronger, right? That to me is an equation for pain. It's pain. Absolutely. And, you know, I always say like, how do you cross that bridge into knowing, okay, it's happening for me right now, right? So when did you, um, when did bodybuilding, because that, you know, of, of, of course that fascinates me, especially as, uh, as an amputee, when did that sort of get in your purview? Like when, when did that become a thing or a possibility in your mind? Well, it was when I had been a trainer for, I would say, probably five or six years into it. And like I said, I trained all body types. But, um, and I taught myself to run and I taught myself to do gymnastics again. So here I am doing back handsprings and roundoffs and flips and, and teaching Pilates um, and training all different body types. You know, I've lost the weight. I, you know, put on muscle mass. I've done this with other people. That was the one thing that someone came to me and said, you know, I want to train for a show. Well, I didn't feel comfortable training them for bodybuilding unless I did it myself. Like, if you're going to talk the talk, you got to walk the walk. You know, I'm not going to tell you not to eat this, but yet I'm going to go ahead and and do it myself. So and I'm very firm believer in that, you know, so I that's when bodybuilding became in my scope is when I had people come to me and say, hey, I want to look like you. You should do a show. Well, then I better do a show. When I started training, um, I had, I go all natural. So everything is lie detector tested and urine analysis. So to ensure that everything is natural, um, because bodybuilding is filled with steroids and, and sure. everything else that you yeah, know, all, all of that's um, been pretty well documented right obviously so yeah that was a, a huge thing to me is that it it's got to be all natural so learning that proper diet in order to put on that muscle mass somebody at my stature and then teaching others to do the same as well um so learning that 
was just an another scope of what more I could achieve, you know, and then getting those muscles, like you said, it's a, it's a fine um, recipe, so to speak, you know, you're missing half of a leg. So how do I get those muscles to match? Because you're overcompensating on, on the hip in order to swing the prosthesis so the left side's going to deteriorate. So now I'm in a show when everything has to, they judge you on your composition. Yeah, Everything has to match. Right. So it's learning how to contract those muscles without having the weight when you don't have the physical body there, literally. <laughs> right, right. Have you seen the um, that documentary on Arnold Schwarzenegger? Have you watched that? Um, which one? There's a million. Well, there's well. But... Pardon me. It's it's very recent, and I believe it's on Netflix right now. I think it's just called Arnold. I have not watched it yet. Okay, so I only knew him pretty pretty much as um like an action you know, movie star kind of, kind of person. I, I didn't really understand so much his background in terms of how he kind of revolutionized bodybuilding, how he sort of kind of set the, set the bar for where things were going to go in, in terms of those competitions. And, um, I, I think the thing that, kind of resonated with me the most was his unbelievable level of focus his just his passion for his body and that nothing literally nothing was going to get in his way of achieving the results that he wanted and he admits to you know using steroids and things and and um, but there's still, you know, even putting that aside, the amount of time and dedication and just laser beam focus that it takes to reach those levels was extraordinary to me. I mean, and, and I'm not generalizing here. I, you almost have to be like a little crazy, like a little obs oh. obsessed obsessed that's that's the correct term and you're absolutely right like people just assume that you can take steroids and bulk up and get strong <laughs> right well anybody who's had a cold before knows that no it doesn't work that way you have to work yep. no matter what you know it is laser beam focus yeah it helps but so in order to do that as an amputee to be a bodybuilder as an amputee and natural you just have to work harder just as you do to be a normal person. Yeah. Um, and then uh, when I started competing, they didn't have an amputee class. Uh, a lot of professional shows do now. Mm. They have a class just for disabled. Um, they have a wheelchair class. They have an amputee class. Um, and I'm, I'm sure I'll be corrected uh, because I haven't been around those, but I felt that I worked just as hard, if not harder, than the able-bodied people up there that yeah. I was going to compete 
able-bodied. So every show that I have done, which has only been two, but every show that I've done is against able-bodied. And how did that, how did that, uh, how did that make you feel in that, in that situation? I mean, was there, was there an ounce of hesitancy, insecurity? I mean, or, or did you feel like this is, this is just how I'm going to do it. This is how I'm going to approach it. That's, that's exactly it. I fought so hard because like I, I said, I've been an amputee for 20 years. So back when this happened, you know, there's tons of progression in the last 20 years from when I first became an amputee. Like I would literally break carbon fiber feet, like one a year. Yeah. I've gone through 20 different feet, just destroy them, literally be running down the road and break. Wow. So I've broken sockets. I have, you know, broken titanium um, joints in my prosthesis, you know, would literally come meet me in a parking lot to come <laughs> fix me. So that's when, you know, you have a really good prosthesis, yeah. uh, but I'm going to have to um, crawl home if you don't come here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or they know me. I'll take a grinder to it myself and make it work. So, yeah. It's funny. We, we become like little engineers, you know, with these, with these prosthetics. We're like, oh, I see how this works now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And being a farm kid and a, and a mechanic's daughter, like, uh, trust me, I can fix it. You right, know, I'll throw right. some duct tape on there. I'll see you in a week. But then after it, it fixed myself up and go, um, I actually found a foot that worked for me. And it's funny that you mentioned that that canyon between your, uh, your doctor and your prosthetist, there's also that canyon of mechanics that every person needs to try because everything is different for every single person. You yeah. have a liner, you have, you know, which type of suction you want to use, which foot, which foot works for you, which is best. And then you have those that don't quite get the mindset, don't want to be as active. At least that's what I've come across. And I've done many, many years of amputee outreach and helped. And over the years, I've found that the more active and the more um, able-bodied I've become, the more people don't relate anymore. Mm. Like, oh, you don't get it. You're fine. Like, no, oh. I went through it too, you know? Yeah. Uh, no, I, I have this problem. There's just more excuses now um, than there used to be when I was first an amputee. And maybe that was because I had more compassion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, hopefully I don't get any haters on this, but I've gotten to the point now that I'm like, no, you really can do what you want if you set your mind to it. Yeah, um, and yeah. that same thing with bodybuilding, um, you know, it's, it's like you said, you gotta be a little bit crazy. Yeah. Like I, I never would have thought I'd be running. Well, I, I always refer to it as, you know, the whole wanting it bad enough concept that if you, if you, if there's anything you want bad enough, you can do it. And, you know, I tend to, I tend to feel somewhat the same way in that, <sighs> The, the more, and that was a perfect way of putting it, the more able-bodied I become. And, you know, I'm, again, I don't, I don't like haters either, 
because I sometimes I say things and I'll get these DMs like, you know, you know, it's not as easy as you think. And it's like, well, wait a minute. I, I you know, I went through it too. You know, I, I didn't just, you know, suddenly do things that come easy now. It, it took some time and, and some dedication, but sometimes I find, and, and going to the prosthetist and going to their office and on a busy day, right? Because there's, let, let's say, a dozen amputees in the room. And, you know, my, my, my uh, you know, my prosthetist brings out, you know, my, my prosthesis and says, okay, get, you know, you know, you know, the drill, give it a test drive and let's see if we need to make adjustments. And I'm walking around and I'm going over the stairs and I'm just, you know, I'm jumping up and down a little bit. I'm just trying to get, you know, a feel. And suddenly I notice this like, kind of like disdain for, for me, like, wow, well, must be nice. Right. Must be nice that it's so easy. And, or someone will say, well, man, you just went right up those stairs. Like, like, what's that all about? Wait a minute. Back up. This is, it, this is not where you start. This is, right. this is work. You know, I, you know, I go to the gym and I do the Stairmaster. I, I do my, you know, uh, when I started, it was like 10 flights. I'm done. I'm just done. I'm pooped, you know, and that has to become a hundred flights somehow. You got to get there somehow. Right. Cause like you mentioned, all those secondary muscles that you've never used before ever in your life, suddenly all those have to get developed. And all of those magical things need to happen through the process of adaptation, which is now I'm relying on other parts of my body to do the things that I can't do anymore. And the only way I'm going to overcome those obstacles is if I gradually push myself, I gradually get there. But I do see out in the community sometimes there's sort of this comparison thing that goes on, or maybe they're getting a better leg than I am or things of that nature. They have better insurance. I, I see this amputee envy that goes on that I sort of want to squash because everyone has a struggle. Everyone is at a particular point in the timeline. When I first became an amputee, I could not wear a rigid socket. I just couldn't. I was in way too much pain. I, I, like yourself, I was much heavier than I am now. I had to use an adjustable because an adjustable allowed me to manage my fluid um, buildup reduction a lot better than ply socks. Ply socks just did not work for me. So I needed an adjustable socket just to be able to, you know, sort of let the steam, you know, have that safety valve where I could give myself some breathing room when I was sitting because I was in like horrible pain when I would stop. Usually I was fine when I was walking around, but the second Absolutely. I the second I would stop, it was like, oh my gosh, my leg is in a vice. I'm dying. Mm -hmm. I'm dying. And having an adjustable allowed me to give myself some relief and say, okay, I can breathe again. Whereas now I wear a rigid socket and it's the most comfortable thing to me. But getting to where I am now, it was just such an incredible,
incredibly laborious process of trial and error, trying different things, like you said, different liners, different types of um, suction, you know, if you're vacuum, you know, having an opportunity to try those things and to see what works for you. And then, you know, for a high functioning amputee like yourself, when you're engaging different different activities, I, I would only imagine, and maybe you can help us understand your hardware situation, you know, is there a one leg fits all or is it or is it a number of different types of technology that you have to use depending on your activity? You know, and that's that's a great point. And I get asked that a lot. There are, and I have seen multiple people that, you know, have a leg for running, that have a leg for swimming, that have a leg to do multiple different things. Being a personal trainer, um, being a manager for UPS for five years where I traveled all over the United States and taught people how to load trucks and then um went and sat in an office and then went and swam and then went and ran. I did not have the time and still don't have the time or the patience for that matter to switch out legs or I couldn't travel all over the U S with five different legs. I mean, I suppose I could, but they allow you a medical bag. But for me personally, that's not feasible. You know, I'm training one person to try to walk in the water and then I have the next client coming in that I needed to train you know, for bodybuilding. And then I have the next client who is on a walker because they're, you know, 500 pounds overweight. I can't change my leg for everything that I'm doing to help support them. So I had to find what worked for me, uh, kind of a, a one leg fits all. Um, and I went through 20 different feet, as I mentioned, most of them broke until I found the foot that works for me, which is uh, the rushed foot. Um, and so I am avid and I have worked with um, and love that foot and have owned every type of rush foot since I have my one foot that allows me to go through the water that allows me to run that allows me to lift that allows me to climb up and down ladders and work 18 hour shifts and um, do everything that I need to do on one leg I literally wake up in the morning put my leg on do not take it off until I go to bed. No, that's super helpful. And um, nice to know that you've landed in that place because so so often I think, well, you know, how much is my insurance going to cover? How many different things, how many different types of prosthesis am I going to be able to uh, be able to get approved for medical necessity? so that I can do all the things that I like to do. And I, I, I feel like I'm in a pretty good place like yourself right now, where I can pretty much do everything I would like to. Um, I've definitely considered the, you know, I'm an avid cyclist, um, you know, I'm a drummer, uh, and I lost my, my uh, you know, my right leg. So, you know, uh, pretty important limb, you know, to lose as a drummer, I, I would have much preferred it be my left, but oh, well, I'm, I'm looking to get into, uh, running in, in the, uh, you know, in the baby phase, like, you know, it, it'd be nice to go for a jog kind of deal. Mm-hmm. And, 
you know, I, I, I wanted to bounce that off of you and see, you know, how does that process start? You know, what, you know, what would you say someone like myself, who's never done that, what's that going to be like? What should I be looking for? Um, how do I graduate up to the point where, okay, I'm going to, you know, go, go run a few miles and, um, you know, what, what would be your recommendation? I'm trying, I'm I'm trying to get some free personal trainer advice. Absolutely. (laughs) You and everybody else. No, I'm not a personal trainer anymore, but I am, I do work for free sometimes. Anyways, um, honestly, it's just whatever you have now, try it. You have to try to overcome and adapt, whether it's just starting to walk faster. Um, you, you had mentioned, you know, walking up a flight of stairs or using the Stairmaster when it's only 10 flights and you have to turn that into 100. You're going to start by jogging 20 steps. Yeah. Soon that 20 steps can turn into this, can turn into that. If you start getting sores and issues on on your residual limb, it's a possibility. It's the fit. It's the way that the your shin's going to hit harder on the front than it would if you were just walking. Mm. So the biomechanics of that foot may not work for what you're you're using it for. I started running on a on a brick as they explained it. I was in like the cheapest my insurance would cover because it was just um Medicaid at the time or Medicare, that's all I had. And like you said, that's another issue that every amputee has to deal with is what are they going to cover this time? My liner's ripped. They'll only cover this much at a time. I mean, I've learned to use marine glue to keep liners together to plug holes because insurance will only allow you so much of of durable medical equipment each year before you're paying out of pocket. And this stuff is not cheap. Um, you know, and some of those insurance companies won't even cover a K4. Right. Some of them won't cover a prosthetic at all. It's not a necessity to, to have a prosthetic, you know, we covered a wheelchair this year. Yeah. So they're stuck in that wheelchair. Then you have to go out and, and try to find funding or volunteer work. So, um, Anyways, back on the topic of running, I guess my uh, suggestion would be to, like I said, just try it. I have never been on a blade, a running blade. I do. I don't know how it feels. Um, What I have works great and it works great for me. Um, My insurance will cover a running blade. Um, There are ways that you can get them. You can apply for grants and whatnot. But um, I myself feel that there are people out there that would benefit from it more than I would because I can function on what I have. Yeah. So it's just an, Uh, it's, it's just an incremental, uh, you, you just start, you know, I mean, what, right. What, what's, what's the, what's that saying? You know, the, just do it. The, uh, stop talking. (laughs) Nike slogan. Stop talking. (laughs) Just do it. Yeah, there's right. nothing run, more annoying. <laughs> there's nothing more annoying than someone that just just talking, talking, talking. Like, come on, just right. Do do the thing. Um, the one thing I wanted to to mention and get into a little bit before we uh, we lose you here. Um, there was a, a social media post that you put out that sort of resonated with me. 
and uh, you've got a look on your face like you know what I'm talking about. Um, so it, it was kind of a glamorous photo of you, and and you were you were exposing your residual limb in the photo, and it, some of what you said like like really really resonated with me, and really you know got me thinking about how that applied in in my own life and you know i i you know of course i've i've taken photos with my prosthesis off but i'm always wearing a liner sock always and it's such a vulnerable sort of place when your residual limb is for lack of a better word is naked and it's um it's something that there are times I look at my residual limb, admittedly, and it's just bizarre. I mean, it's bizarre looking. And, you know, you get, we, as humans, we get so used to, you know, we have this picture in our mind of, of what our anatomy is. And, and the idea of taking a photo, exposing my residual limb is, it's, it's a bit terrifying. And I, you know, I could really relate to some of what you were saying in this is, you know, something that you put out there and we never know what the feedback is going to be, right? Mm -hmm. But it would seem to me that in that moment, yes, it was you know, very revealing, very vulnerable. But the way I perceived it was like, it it really showed like incredible strength in what you, pro- you were projecting in that moment. And um, yeah, I just, you know, I, I mentioned it only because I, I wanted to understand better what you were feeling in that moment too. Oh, and I I know the exactly the post you're talking about, and I I'm very active on social media for those that want to check it out. Um, but for me, it was um, a boudoir shoot um, that was focusing on people that were disabled, but finding the beauty in themselves. And for me, like being a bodybuilder, I would stand up on stage. I mean just shy of, you know, band-aids on and be judged and critiqued over anything else and feel comfortable doing that. But Mm -hmm. having a picture with my leg off, that is like you said, literally naked. Yeah. Um, so that to me is the first time that I have, I mean, I have shown other amputees like wounds that I would get from prosthetic swords or stuff like that. But to be, like you said, in that vulnerable position to where the beauty is focused on what I like to see the least of myself. Mm. So putting it out there that there can be beauty in what you've overcome. It's just showing or taking off the mask. That leg is the mask that we hide behind, you know, without that leg on, I can't walk. I'm crawling. I can't 
you know, um, function like a able-bodied person. It's literally as vulnerable as you're going to get is when you take that off. I mean, for lack of a better explanation, I always said what's left looks like a giant penis. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, there's those, those funny pictures that go around in the amputee groups. You know, right. where, where some dude is like, he's like, da- he's like dangling his residual <laughs> limb. Like, you know, he's right. he's, got, he's got like a pant leg on this side. And then he's just dangling it in the middle. And those right. two, and and those usually get like removed. So I'm always like, oh, yeah, come on. Exactly. It's just, yeah, it's yeah. just people being silly. It's no big deal. Right. You know, right. Exactly. But, but um, um, no, I, I, just- I appreciate what you're saying. I really do. It's, it's that whole idea, I think, is, is very, very important. That lesson is very important for us all. And when you talk about when that leg is off, the feelings that come with that. Now, not to be, you know, super macho, traditional sounding, but as a man, feeling that I can't protect the ones I love when my leg is off is, is, is very, it's, it's very difficult for me. So feeling that, that, you know, I can't keep everyone safe once my leg is off. Cause if something were to happen, hold on a second, you know, uh, Mr. Intruder, I've got to put my liner on and get my leg on. <laughs> no, you're exactly right. And that's, I'm a very independent person and I will be the one out there. I mean, my husband gives me grief all the time, but I, I'm, I love to mow. I love to take care of the yard. I know more mechanics than he does. I will literally go out there and mow and say, no, you're not doing it right. So get out here in the way. But when I go to bed at night, I have to take my leg off. You know, when I get up in the middle of the night, um, I crawl just because I know I can't fall. You're already on the ground. Yep. So you can't fall, but I'm raising my grandchildren right now. And if they, Nana, come get me, I have to, you know, put on my leg Yeah. in order to walk into their room. Uh, You know, you have to, um, if there was a fire, so hang on, let yeah. me get my leg on, exactly. you know? So yeah, like you said, that, that being able to protect the ones you love or even get up and run after them if they've, you know, mm-hmm. fallen down the stairs, you Absolutely. know, just. No, I, I, I agree. And I, you know, I've got a granddaughter myself and, you know, she'll just, uh, <laughs> she'll ask to play with my leg. And then she'll just walk off with it. And I'm thinking, hold on a second. I'm going to, I'm going to need that. But, uh, how do you, how do you feel like when you look through the lens of your grandkids in terms of them, you know, seeing you as a, as an amputee, like what's that experience like? Well, like my youngest, um, granddaughter has grown up with it. So she doesn't know any different. So to her, it's, just second nature. Now these littles that I'm uh, littles, as I call them that I'm raising now, uh, they, they uh, were with their, um, their biological parents for three years in Kansas. So they didn't really know me super well until they were dropped off on my doorstep. And, you know, it's Nana with the robot leg. 
Yeah. So they had to get used to, you know, that's your robot leg. That's your prosthetic. When I wore pants, they couldn't understand where it went. Mm. Yeah. Or let me see your leg. Let me see the mechanics of it. And and now they're okay with it. My children, when they were younger, they would do the same thing. They'd run off with my leg or they'd try to wear it themselves. And I'd be like, okay, come back. They'd take my wheelchair and go up and down the street and race with it. And I'm like, okay, that's great. (laughs) But so like my children had to grow up with it. And my children are now 27, 23 and 22. And they we'll still notice the stairs. Mm-hmm. You know, that's all people look um, yeah. at. And they're like, mom, they're looking at you. I don't, I don't notice it anymore. Um, the, my, my grandkids now, you know, will stop to explain to little kids that say, you know, what's that? Because well, that's normal nature. Sure. And their parents will try to pull them back and, you know, no, don't talk to them. And I'm like, no, that's absolutely normal. If I see somebody with hot pink hair going down the street, I'm going to turn and look too. Yeah. It's the same thing with a prosthetic. You just explain um, rather than pull them away. So I got a three-year-old and a four-year-old saying, that's my Nana's robot leg. Yeah. And the other kids are just like, okay, it's parents or adult perception that are afraid to ask or to learn for that matter. Yeah, I agree. And and children have a great way of not only being a buffer, but also being an appropriate messenger of a lot of those those uh particular pieces of information. They can they can handle that dialogue a lot better than we can. And my, my granddaughter refers to my prosthesis as my robot leg. And she refers to my residual limb as my baby leg. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> she says, that's your baby leg. And I'm like, okay, if that's what you think it is, that's fine. Yeah. You know, whatever works. Uh, out of the mouths of babes. But um, no, I, I continue to be so inspired by your story. I so appreciate you taking the time and giving us a little more of a personal sort of, uh, you know, perspective on you and, you know, what's happening with you. What, what would you consider to be your next big goal? That's, like I said, I've been raising these little guys for about a year. They were just kind of, um, shown up. So, uh, Everything that I would have thought of as a goal um, in the future has kind of been a day by day since we don't really know exactly what's going on. Um, I was scheduled to have a revision in March, but raising littles, I had to put that off. So we have had to um, I have some residual skin that needs to go away. So I am currently in um, my prosthesis. care i'm using a pin lock and liner to hold my skin where it needs to be i continue to work out so goals for itself is like i said it's gonna have to be day by day yeah eventually life will calm down and we'll figure out what's going on um i don't have anything in the future that i'm set out to do i don't plan on um 
doing any shows any soon, anytime soon, or if ever again, I, I've been there, I've done that, but just learning to live a normal life outside of bodybuilding. Um, so yeah, goals in itself is to hopefully move up with the, um, my career, continue to be as, as active as I am and be there 100% for my family. Well, and those are all very, very worthwhile endeavors. If someone, if it's okay for someone to reach out to you, how do you, how do you prefer they do that? Um, they can reach out to me through um, Instagram or or uh, through Facebook, which is the preferred way of method. Um, I am uh, semi-private on both, so they will have to explain that they've. Um, seen this just because uh the littles and grandkids and and all that fun stuff so but i'm more than willing to help answer questions um i can lead you in the right direction of some really good um amputee trainers i just don't have the time to give out uh free workouts or (laughs) or nutrition advice for that matter i always used to say like you can put down the fork Start there. So. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I'm a little, I, I can be a little curt with people. I, I'm, I get frustrated and I'm just like, you know, you do have a choice. Like, just stop. <laughs> but I know for some people that's not as easy as it is for me. And, you know, we have to, we have to try to, you know, show some empathy in those situations and hopefully we can you know, change our, our, you know, our habitual issues and just create little behavioral modifications to the point where, you know, you're, you're, yeah, you're doing it as a lifestyle and the way in which, you know, you live your lifestyle, your fitness level and everything that you're doing and you're, you're pursuing to live your best life as an amputee. And, um, I so appreciate you sharing all of that. And of course, I will, you know, continue to follow you. Jenny, thank you so much for being here. I am Rick Bonkowski. This is the Amped Up to 11 podcast. And I want to wish everyone health and happiness. And we will see you next time.